Hi, I'm Daphne Ashbrook, and you're listening to the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance. Hello and welcome to another podcast from the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance. This time it's the Valiant 2 event in Sheffield, which took place recently. Uh, myself, Martin from Bad Wolf, and David Monteith from Geek Syndicate and Time Law were present to meet various guests and attendees. And this is the audio of that event, I hope you enjoy it. Massive thanks go to Phantom Films for allowing us access. If you'd like to hear any more information about the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance, then please go to www.doctorwhopodcastalliance.org. I'm David from Geek Syndicate and Time Law, and I'm with... Martin from Bad Wolf. And we're representing the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance. Why are we here today? Who are you looking forward to seeing? Um, well, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to seeing Katie Manning, because you know, it's just childhood icon yeah, yeah. Doctor Who femininity and also Sophie Aldred because I think she's just brilliant yeah me too in many ways she was my first Doctor's companion um, we've also got um, just because uh, oh, I find myself quite interested in the writing side of things Joseph Joseph Lidster yeah, Simon Guerrero I can never say his surname so I'm interested in what they've got to say and only of Davros, of course. Terry oh, Malloy. Terry Malloy, yeah. We must yeah. ask him what he thought of Julian Bleach. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> Be interested to find that. Um, and you've got a load of people from... Uh, you've got three actors from uh, Warrior's Gate... And it's, they're calling it a Warriors Gate reunion, and I just think that might be quite nice. Actually. Yeah, yeah. And look, a tribute to Nicholas Courtney. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. A half an hour tribute. Who played the Brigadier. Yeah, sadly lost recently. Yeah. Uh, should we get back to these people in a while? Let's get back oh, to these people. Right. We're sitting here with Joe Litz. Are you Joe or Joseph? Joe. <laughs> Professionally, I'm Joseph, but... We're sitting here with Joe Lidster and Simon, who I've been trying to say your surname right for about a year now, and I can't... It's pronounced it Famu. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, Guria. Guria. Yeah, that'll do. Oh, okay, right. Hello. Oh. Hello. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can tell it's going to be a really professional mm. interview. Um, oh my goodness, that tree's three dimensional. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Oh. Right, anyway. That'll um, help the listener. Mm. Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry folks. <laughs> um, the tree, it's a lie. <laughs> it's going to eat me. Where do we start? Let's start with uh, pretty much going to ask you some questions that you've just said in the panel, so sorry for repetition, but succinctly, um, how did you get into writing? Why? Um, Well, Joe's eating a sandwich at the moment, so I'll answer first. Um, I uh, wanted to be a writer, but in the same way I wanted to be an astronaut or a pop star. Um, And uh, then I read an interview in Doctor Who magazine with Paul Cornell, where he explained um, how he became a writer and what you did and who you sent stuff to and what you sent them. Um, and it was the first time that I thought you could actually do that, you know, as an option. So I took that interview to my careers advisor at school uh, when, because it was just at the right time. <laughs> that always goes well. And the careers advisor said, um, I remember him looking through the interview and going, yeah, well, it's all very well, but nobody makes any money being a writer. He was absolutely right. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then just sent stuff to publishers and... 
asked for guide, wrote to them asking for guidelines of what they were after and just sent stuff out and just kept sending stuff out and getting responses and sending them more stuff. That's, that's kind of how you do it, really. You, you write stuff and you send it to people. It's, it's not rocket science, really. No. Um, I uh, always wanted to be an actor and did a lot of acting when I was a kid. Um, I was in lots of drama clubs. And I was even... That doesn't make any money, either. No, no, exactly. <laughs> um, I was in the Operatic Society and everything because it's what I really wanted to do. And then we actually, I was, but I also wrote. Um, but then when I was about 17, we did a production at school of um, Amadeus and I played Salieri. And, and it was such an amazing script and it was such a great chance to play a really really interesting character it was the first time I'd really played sort of an adult character and it was really sort of depth there was lots of depth and interesting things and it was just really cool and and I think that just made me sort of get in you know sort of actually thought I, I want to create that I want to write this I want to give other people the chance to play such good parts I want to tell really good stories um and I just kind of got into it that way and so I went and did media at university which is um possibly the most pointless degree in the world because it doesn't tell you anything um, and uh, it you know it trained me up to be able to hold a boom mic and things like that but um, when I left university couldn't didn't, didn't even know how to get a job in television which is what I wanted to do um, and then real, uh, I wasn't listening to them but knew about Big Finish and so I got a couple of them listened to them and thought actually I could pitch a story to this and um, it was my last ditch attempt because I was 22, 23, it was just over 10 years now, and um, I was close to sort of giving it all up because I was working at WH Smith and they were offering me a management trainee scheme and stuff like that, and I sort of thought, actually, you know what, if nothing happens with this idea that I'm sending to Big Finish, which I wasn't expecting anything to happen, um, I'll give it up and, you know, live in suburbia and work in WH Smith's. And that didn't happen because Big Finish said yes. Nice. And so here I am now. <laughs> Many years later, poor. <laughs> what, are, sorry. what are the differences between writing audio and television? The money. One has pictures, yes, <laughs> and, and the money. Um, it, a lot of it really isn't actually that different. Um, you're working for different people. Um, I'd say possibly with TV, there's a bit more responsibility to your audience because you're writing for kids and it is such a big public thing. Um, Whereas for audio, you know, you're writing more for Doctor Who fans and it's a smaller thing. Um, but it's actually, the, the uh, more intimate, <laughs> that's it. Like with you, Simon. Yes. Um, <laughs> feeling, feeling vaguely nauseous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and uh, yes, so he, uh, yes, but actually the, the whole thing of writing, whether you're doing, I did a, f- a 1,500-word short story a couple of weeks ago for a charity thing, um, whether you're doing that or you're writing for mainstream television, it's actually still the same. You sit down and you just do the best you can. You know, it's it's not hugely different. And then certainly when it's a script, the script format's the same. You know, interior, exterior, title. You know, it's it's all pretty much the same. You just you know, it's, it's more the the palaver around it that's different. You know, TV. Do you, do you guys have a preference for just straight prose or scripting? I hate writing prose. I can't write prose. It kills me. Um, it's so so many words, and you have to, <laughs> but you have to describe what rooms look like, and I hate that. You sort of have to go. You know, Simon walks into the room, and there are green walls and a carpet, and there's a ceiling, and I just can't. But do don't it. you have to do that in audio? Don't no, look. This room is green. With no, because in audio, I don't bother with all that because I just think oh, I'll make it up in the head. 
Because actually what you're trying to do in all of these things is hide the exposition, yeah. whether that's the description mm. of where you are or, or the plot. And you're trying to hide it and make it as unobtrusive as possible. Mm. And on audio, you're going, well, you just suggest it and you have sound effects. So you're, yeah. you're, you know, but you've got to keep your stage direction short in a script. So you're doing a sentence, and then you're leaving it to clever sound people to make it sound things. And then you, you know, you could have somebody going, "I've just written a line in a play, which is um, uh, somebody stepping out of an airlock, going, this planet stinks. Do all planets stink?'" And and that's all I need to conjure something. Mm. And then under their footsteps, there's a bit of gravel, um, and hopefully people will think quarry, and and that's. <laughs> Whereas in prose, you've got to do all the description. You've got to explain what people look like and where they are and all this sort of stuff. And so you get this terrible kind of listy yeah. thing. And, you know, like in, in Ian Fleming's James Bond books, where you always know what people are wearing and exactly what they've had to eat. <laughs> um, and then there was pudding. And Bond yeah. said, yes, I will have ice cream and custard. A friend of mine it, it just said he actually learned to make scrambled eggs from a recipe in a Bond book. In a <laughs> it, it's, um, and that kind of detail, I mean, there, there are really good examples of it. I mean, I love, there's a brilliant description in... Um, uh, uh, Charlie Higson's first young Bond book where he explains Bond's relationship with, I think it's his uncle by his uncle explaining to him how a car engine works and it's a page and a half of in very simple suitable for 12 year old readers description of exactly what happens in an engine and I start reading that thinking hey I'd have loved that when I was 12 but it's all exposition it's got nothing to do with the plot it's just about this relationship and that Bond likes facts and stuff. And it tells you so much about Bond and his uncle and whatever. And he just that's a beautiful piece of piece of writing. Um, and it's all about hiding what you're actually doing. Uh, which is is it's it's all about um, how these two men relate to each other and how Bond is Bond is developing and, and, and how as a child he's becoming the man that we'll later know and stuff. And that's all in the description of, of what a carburetor is. Just a brilliant bit of writing. And actually, the trouble with the, I think that we both have with prose is you sit there just going... A, a lot of writing is going... Writing is easy. Writing well is actually quite difficult. And so you're, you're just sat there just going, this is terrible, this is terrible, this is just perfunctory, boring... Uh, emotionless stuff so actually what you're doing is constantly looking for ways in and, and scripts because it's all about the dialogue and it's about how people are reacting you just get to that much quicker I think sorry that, <laughs> no, no, that was a bit that was a brilliant I no, no, ate no, a no, whole no. sandwich in that answer that was great it was great because I've just written I've just written a short story it's been published online I'm thinking maybe I can write scripts <laughs> I wanted to be a writer and I read Russell's writer's tale and I thought it seems a bit too difficult yeah but you see but the thing is that everybody writes in a different way yeah. I found Russell's writing book fascinating, absolutely oh, fascinating, yeah. and really interesting, and lots and lots of stuff on just basic technique, which is often the thing that people don't talk about. Um, you know, you tend to talk about where your ideas come, or your, come from, or your, or your influences. You don't actually talk about what goes on when you're writing the thing, and you're going, "I'm going to have another cup of tea because I'm stuck," or I'm not, or there's a scene that isn't working, or, or that kind of stuff. But Russell's writing until three in the morning. Yeah, I can't do that because I've got other work I've got other bits and pieces and I know that if I can do it occasionally if I'm up against the deadline but it has to be occasionally because if nothing else my wife gets cross about it and um, and so my writing thing is that I've got to just get get on and do it Mm. and I can't 
I will prevaricate, but there's a point at which I can't prevaricate because I've got to do stuff. And I found Russell's writing, but just going, well, there's things I do, there's things I don't do, there's things I might try, there's interesting seeing how he puts things together and it's all about big images first and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But, but every writer does things differently. And actually, if you're learning to be a writer, what you've got to learn is how you write. And, and you only get that by doing it. I do that, yeah. Is there... Uh... Coming back in, in the Doctor Who range, is there a preferred character? Not just the Doctor. Is there? Is there? It could. It could be a. I'll start a sentence again. It could be a companion or whatever. Is there a preferred character you love to write for? I actually don't find writing for the Doctor that interesting because I don't. You know, he's obviously he's he's the show or whatever. Um, I'm always much more fascinated by the companions because they're human. When I was a kid and I wanted to be in Doctor Who, I wanted to be the companion. I didn't want to be the Doctor because he just walks in and goes, I will save the day, here we go. The companion was the one who got tied up and chased and ran around and had romances and got shot at and stuff like that. And to me, that's a lot more fun. And as a writer, I find writing for companions or, you know, like when they tortured it, it's all human and they're all fallible. And it's same, you know, with the big finish, you know, the companions, they're human, they're fallible. I just find that a lot more interesting than, than write for the Doctor. Um, I also Davros is great fun to write for. Davros is brilliant to write for because you can hear Terry Roy in your head and you do just put Doctor at the end of every line. <laughs> Would you like a sandwich, Doctor? And you just get, because it instantly takes you back to, well, it takes me back to my childhood of watching Davros and Remembers of the Daleks and him being the most terrifying thing on TV that week. And you just go, I just want to capture that. So actually, strong iconic images like that. It's, it's also rare that you get to choose. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's very, I've, I've done a, a short story for the Eighth Doctor, which is on a CD of short stories. It's one of the few times where the editor said, which Doctor do you want to write for? Um, and why, why did you go for the Eighth? I went for the Eighth because I, I asked who was going to be reading them. Uh, and pretty much everybody on the list, I just went, I'd like to write for somebody I haven't worked with before. And there were two actors I hadn't worked with before, which was David Troughton and India Fisher. Oh. And I, I know India Fisher quite well. I've interviewed her a few times and been to the pub with her and stuff. And I just thought, I just said, is anybody doing that? And, and I also had an idea, because she played quite a bubbly companion. I immediately thought that allows me to do a not bubbly story. And immediately I've got a way in. And I've kind of got an idea for a story that I've had in the back of my head anyway. Um, but that's, that's very rare that you get to choose Doctor So, so I, I got asked what the difference between writing Doctor Who stories and comics and stuff was to fan fiction. And fan fiction is because you get to choose who you're writing for. Mm-hmm. Whereas actually the challenge of what we do, I think, is you're given, here's the character, here's the companions. Actually, that actor can only do half a day or is it... Is, oh, is yeah. whatever. Yeah. And you've got to put those things together and you're given a kind of what people tend to call the shopping list often the shopping list is, is, you know, who the cast is. Or you need to you need to use that set for a day. So you've got to make sure that a quarter of your scenes are set in that set. Or, or can you not do a story about the army? Because we've got too many stories about, you know, can you not do a unit story? A, a third Doctor story, but not about unit, or, or whatever it might be. And those things are, are actually the challenges. So, so you actually find yourself writing for companions that you'd never really thought about or, or hadn't really whatever and then it's the challenge of finding new things to say or a new angle or a new perspective um, and that's that's part of the fun of it so so your Sarah James they all focus on 
one of the kids. One of the kids, yeah. yeah, which I'm asked to do. So that's the fun thing. Um, and it was, it was interesting with Clyde because they said, bring Clyde's dad back and we want him to go on a road trip. So that's fun. Um, the interesting one was when they did with Rani was where basically they actually they gave me the theme park because another writer had been working on an idea and so they'd already sort of sounded out the theme park and all that lot. So, but then Russell, while I was working on an idea for the theme park, said, actually, can we do a story about Rani that's a bit like Joe's story about Clyde? And what was interesting there was going, but Rani's got a very happy family and Rani, and actually that was harder but more satisfying to really dig into Rani and go who are you what's what drives you what motivates you and the interesting thing with those stories is I have to have the child make a mistake because then they go on a journey and that's very different to what they normally do because it's a kid's show and they're the heroes normally Mm. they are you know they'll get caught and they'll be chased and all that lot but they themselves are I'm not saying they're infallible but they're 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 more infallible than a real child would be and what's interesting to me is I get to write the story where they're fallible I get to write the story where Rani goes off without telling anybody where she's going and stuff like that um, and that's you know just that's brilliant when you're a writer that's what you want to do you want to be given do, do something with that character and you just go well, what can I do with her and you get to sit down and really you know just have fun and work out what it is that you can make her do What's it like? <clears throat> I mean, he asked this already, but what's it like hearing and seeing your stories come to life? It's brilliant. Um, you know, it's still exciting when you see. It. It's exciting when you see a short story in a book when you're published in a book. You know, and you just go, "It's my name in a book. That's mental." Um, you know, and it's the same with audio, and it's the same with TV. Mm-hmm. You know, and each time it's still a new thing. It's still exciting. It's still. You know, you get a big finished CD and your name's on the front of it, or you, you know. And you also see when you watch TV, you know. You also know, especially on a lot of stuff I do, but you're handing your writing over to good Mm, people who will make it. I mean, on Big Finish, I've been really lucky, and I've handed stuff over, and they've just made it sound amazing. You get really good cast, Mm. really good director, really good sound effects and stuff, and you just go, it's so much better than what I wrote. Mm. It's so much more effective or, or. you know, immersive or, or whatever, and you get caught up in it, and um, you kind of um, also by the time you, you actually get the finished product, it's such a long time since you handed the script over. You kind of <laughs> got on what it is. Well, it, it's more that you, you're kind of distant from it. It's not like it's yours. It's just like you share it with everybody else. Um, and I've had books where I've seen the covers and have just gone, "That makes me look so clever." And um, Joe, you said something in the panel. Um, about Tegan uh, or oh, Janet <laughs> that's cool you said that's the most notes you've ever had from an actor do you guys often get notes from actors no Colin and Nicola had both when I wrote for them they, uh, the, 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 the reaping um, they both read it and both had a couple of notes but they were really good notes they were really it was Nicola going just don't think Perry would say that and you go actually you're right she wouldn't you know let's change that and the same with Colin it was just like just think you know um, no Janet just did lots of notes like she wanted to die and stuff like that you know no, notes are, she's, a, she's, a, she's a charming lady no, notes are, are kind of funny because you also pick up on stuff the, the actors might not tell you something specific and also they might tell you something about something they've enjoyed or or want to do that they never quite felt they were able to or yeah Liz Slayton does actually Liz um, always says she wants to do more comedy she says nobody ever you know people don't write Sarah Jane doing jokes and fun stuff and so you always are trying to put that in um, the tricky thing obviously is in the format of the show she can't be 
prattling about, you know, she can't, <laughs> Sarah Jane gets drunk and, you know, <laughs> does a sing song, you know, she can't do that, she's always got to be, well, I'm the prim and proper one who tells you kids how to, you know, save the day and that, and so the fun, that's my question to Sarah Jane too, <laughs> hello, this is very special, <laughs> this is how I talk, I'm Sarah Jane Smith, um, and she, but so what you have to try and do is find, even if it's just odd lines or, you know, have her describing what an alien looks like and you sort of put and she does you know it makes it look like a thimble or whatever you, you just try and give a little fun stuff to do and the old joke where you can and you, you also get a lot of what you get is questions from the actors when you go in to record so, I mean not audio which is the stuff that I do you get questions from the actors which are things like you know can I ask you about this how, often it's just how do I pronounce that word or, or that bit but you'll also get questions like I'm thinking in this bit that I should be playing against the lines here and that kind of stuff. So what what you learn generally is things like making things clear in the script, how mm-hmm. you want them to play stuff, or or if they've got freedom to try things, you need to you need to make the the script make that clear, basically, so that they can read it without that, so they can read it instinctively and perform it instinctively. Mm-hmm. That's a big thing. I mean, that is certainly. I don't even get that on. You know, do get that on Sarah Jane, where Russell will go. Um, you know, you've got to it's that thing about describing rooms or whatever you've got to say where it is or you've got to say you know but you don't want to put lots of at the beginning of every line happy or sarcastic or whatever like that um, but even then Russell will still go well how do we know what where they are you know and you'll go well I just assume somebody would decide oh no that's my job isn't it I have to decide I have to say at the top of the scene what it is and you know it is the same on audio you have to write it so that basically an actor can come in and re- especially on audio where they come in and just pick up the script and read it someone like Peter, you know, just literally that's the first time he sees the script he comes in and reads his lines um, he needs to be able to read those lines and, and know exactly where he is what he's doing, what he's saying and that's, that's actually quite a tricky thing because you don't want lots and lots of description at the top of a scene so it's getting that balance right of just on, so they can go oh, right. audio, you need, because, you're, because the listener is creating the world in their heads you need to make sure that you know where the scene is, mm. who's in it, who's speaking. Even so who's in it, that's all, a, you know. So you have things. to have someone speak. If someone's early in the scene, in they the have scene. to speak early in the scene. So you know, and more often than not, you need to have people say each other's names and, if, and, and things like not, that. And if, they, if they don't say something in the scene early on, then when they say something later on, you need to have them come in to the scene, you know, and come yeah. through a door or whatever. So because otherwise, it is like it's it's. Uh, Genuinely, like they've just appeared out of thin air, and, and it's yeah. they've just suddenly in the room, and you can use that. You can make something of that, um, and you always have to find a way. You always have to find a place in the script where someone says the title of the story because that's the best thing ever. No, it is. <laughs> like oh, but Doctor, look at this state of decay. I always like that, like in Back to the Future, where he said, oh, "We have to go back to back the future." But, but also, but also there, there are things like a bit like that where, where if actors squat that, they, even subconsciously, they'll sort of hesitate before they say it. Yeah. Um, so you have to be very careful about technobabble. Um, my favourite example of technobabble, which I just think is brilliant, is in uh, Blink, the episode of Doctor Who, where, where David Tennant refers to his machine as it, it goes ding when they're stuck. And you're just going, oh, that's just how, that's how all technobabble shit done. <laughs> Um, because because people hesitate, so you find that science fiction has a lot of you know sort of character names with apostrophes in them. And but Doctor Who not having that kind of alien thing, they um, they they stop that. So if you can have aliens and characters called things that it, that are easy to say, 
then the actors make it sound much more naturalistic. And, you know, and I, t- I tend to write one-syllable words anyway, so... Last question then, because I think Tom's... Yeah. Favourite Doctor? Oh, I like them all. Um, yeah. uh, Sylvester's the one I grew up with, um, so he will always be my favourite, but I did adore Christopher Eccleston. I thought he was amazing. Yeah, I love them all. Yeah, but they're all great. All. And one quick piece of advice to people wanting to write. Write. Yeah, just write. You've just got to do, do it. it. Don't, talk, do about, don't, don't talk about don't. it. Don't sit there planning you you know sort of practicing your autograph or anything like that you've just <laughs> got it right don't you know don't go on about it don't sit there I'm a writer I'm trying to write blah blah it's actually you know what just get on with it and do it and there are people finish, who will finish publish it. you finish it you know if you're good people. you'll be published that's, that's how it works yeah. Simon Joe thanks for your time thank, thank you, you. Uh, hello there, we're joined by two people here. One looks strangely familiar. Uh, what are your names, please? Uh, I'm James. I'm Don. Hello, James and Don. Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, why are you here today? Who are you looking forward to seeing? Uh, Katie Manning. Katie Manning? Sophie Aldridge. Oh, me too. Tell us why. Because she beat up a Dalek with a baseball bat. Yes, anybody who can do that is hardcore. <laughs> and why Katie? Um, well, basically, with the whole part we hear, we're running out of people, because uh, obviously... Sadly, um, Nicholas passed away, and Pertwee, I'll never get a chance to meet him, and Delgado's gone. So it's kind of like the last remnants of like a snapshot of that kind of era. And it'd be nice to meet somebody that I could, like, that I could connect with from that era yeah, yeah, before yeah. it's too late. Well, I'm with you, buddy. How far have you come to? We live in. We recently moved to Sheffield, so good. Oh, okay. <laughs> Literally a taxi drive down. Just the road. for this, or? Did you move to Sheffield just for Oh, this? no, um, work reasons. <laughs> OK. But also, brilliant, we live right around the corner from the Doctor Who shop, so, you know... Galaxy 4, we live five minutes from Galaxy well, 4. We've got to do that before we go. Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, don't think I don't think they'll be open, because they're actually... They're actually the... They're the only uh, merchandiser here. Oh, OK. Well, we we'll just go there. Have you done before? No. No, this is the first time. In fact, we only started doing conventions last year, so we're... No, we did Time Quest 2 last year. We did Who at the Fab Cafe, Who at the Lasso Gary. Um, but with Who at the Fab... Uh, no, Time Quest 2, it was the five existing Doctors and I got drunk with Tom Baker, which was a highlight of my life. Talk us through your costume. Um, the Harris Tweed jacket I got from Affleck's Palace in Manchester for £15, and it is actually a genuine Harris Tweed. Grace's bow tie was another fiver from Affleck's Palace, shirts from a charity shop. And the fairs? Um, where I live in Crooks in Sheffield, there's actually two streets over, there's a fancy dress shop, and they're about a fiver. I do have a sonic screwdriver, but what happened was we were in such a dash to get here, I went and left it on the kitchen table. Uh Which was really funny when he tried to pull it out because he goes, and I have... It was a very (laughs) Matt Smith moment, so I was like, I've got a screwdriver, I've got... What you should do is you should go to Superdrug and get an electronic toothbrush and recreate the lodger. No. I like that. Before I had the sonic screwdriver, I used to carry a little torch around with me. Better with the screwdriver, I think. Yeah, no, yeah. it used to surprise people. It's like, oh, just Sonic. Yeah. We've got one of those ones that actually is an actual screwdriver. I'm really looking so, so for so And we've got the um, we've got the Wii remote that's shaped like a Sonic oh, screwdriver, okay. so you can play the Doctor Who game. I actually, I actually had to do some repairs on my computer, and I put it off until the screwdriver arrived. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, guys. We've just finished with the KT Manning panel. Uh, how was it for you? Absolutely amazing. Uh, I've, I mean, I've been to conventions before and I've met Sylvester McCoy and Nicola Bryant, but that was just 
it was like living it all over again, but more intense. <laughs> And how is it for you? You got a hug. Yeah. I know. Well, like I said, it's my first convention, so... And it's great to see Katie. I mean, you've seen her on Sarah J- Jane Adventures recently, and she looked exactly the same, just as stunning she as what she has. She hasn't changed. I mean, she just said said it's been 40 years since she first started. She ain't changed at all. Even better. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, better when you get an hug from her. <laughs> I think every man in there felt like putting his hand up and saying, it's my first convention, too. Yeah, yeah, well, well good thing is our first one of masters. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, smashing and, uh, and you know some of the things in which you said about Nick, about yeah. Roger, and all that. I mean, it brings it brings it all to life, and you know, in the end, that's what us fans are here for. You know, yeah, yeah. was it was it worth the price of admission? Definitely. Even Definitely. though mine's was a birthday present, and I got the late birthday wish from Katie Manning herself. I was like, ooh. <laughs> nice. Overexcited much. I've still got oh, really it. warm cheeks yes, at the yes, moment. You have. <laughs> Excellent. And you gave her your hand. Yeah, well well she can have it for the day. <laughs> I want it back. <laughs> Thank you very oh, much. Brilliant. You're welcome. No problem. Okay. And we've just finished a panel with Simon Gururia, whose name I can never say, and Joe Lidster, who are both writers of Big Finish and Sarah Jane and all sorts. Uh, what's your name? Thomas Hills. What was good? Did you like the panel? I loved it. And what did you like about it? Um, I really liked the storyline of it. I thought it was really exciting. Uh, I wanted to keep reading it. And what was that? What did you want to keep reading? Um, what happened to Amy and what happened to Rory? And... Oh, right, yeah, because yeah. I should say at the end of the panel... Um, the writers separated and took a, a half of the room each and created different stories with the um, with the room with the, with the attendees. I was going to say the congregation. That's <laughs> not what I meant. What part did you contribute to the story? Um, I chose. Um, you chose the title. Yeah, I chose the title and the uh, the Velisseron. Um, and uh, the Velisseron is a shapeshifter, and it's. Um, shapeshifters as a bow tie, the doctor's bow tie, which Amy has, and it's stopping her from going into the TARDIS. So, what did you enjoy about the panel? Um, I think it's interesting to hear about how they got involved in writing, especially for like Big Finish and the, the BBC Worldwide. It's, uh, I think it's quite fascinating that the, the amount of time they've put into it to get to where they are. Yeah, just the, the tips on writing as well about you know being persistent and kind of keeping writing because one of the I think it was Simon had written for ten years and not got anything published or accepted, but he just kept at it and you know got to know people in the industry. So that's inspiration. Yeah, really yeah, really that's yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Both of us at the same time. Yeah. Okay. Since put you. Yeah, I'm just wondering, what are your... I'll start that again. Yeah. Um, what was Tom Baker like to work with? We have very bad breath. <laughs> My memory of him was that he was he was slightly preoccupied, I think, when we were doing our particular warrior escape, because he was having, I think, some sort of relationship with Lala Ward, and he subsequently married 
And I think that was sort of in, in you know, in, in the throes that was sort of starting. So it was so slightly like preoccupied. Quickly, wasn't yeah, it? Two days after. Preoccupied. But he was oh, fine. Right. Okay. He's a very professional fellow. He's, he's, he's a good actor. He's a nice lad. Yes. You know, don't get too close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and was there anything... I mean, it's the... It's... I just remember when I was young loving Doctor Who and yeah. my friends a lot of people I knew wouldn't conceive, consider it serious television yeah. so did I mean getting a job with Doctor Who did it feel like it wasn't serious television or not did then, people treat not you then. it's become an art form since then mm. nowadays it is because of the, the, the way the, the, and the technique of the uh, special effects and things that have mm. improved like that mm. no it was, it was just a bit of television almost children's television mm. when, when I did it with yes. Clifford but then it's uh, now it's it's much better, you know. Mm. You mustn't let him talk. Let me talk. I, I, would, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Uh, no, I felt um, um, I hadn't even seen Doctor Who, and I did the Doctor Who, even though I had children. They watched it, but I, I, I'd never seen it. And I thought it was like, uh, as, as Ken said, like children's television. Yeah. It was kind of um, fairly sort of um, what's the word? I don't mean simple, but um, but not sort of high drama because it was quite sort of. Um, um, well, like, like children's entertainment, and therefore one, um, you know, being in it, one didn't um, feel one was made huge demands of in terms of performance. Um, I think, looking at it now, the one or two bits were overacted like mad, and I really did, I, I, I look at it now, well, my kid, God. used to be frightened by Flash Gordon at the local cinema. Flash Gordon was a, a thing we, we paid six months to go and see, terrified out of our wits. Uh, but and I think this is what's happened with Doctor Who with the, with the, with the, the fresh influx of kiddies watching it. They watched it, as you know, it's an old cliche, they watched it being on the sofa, they could do whatever. And it's the music, I think, this clever person of local music to start it off. And then you're set for it, then, you know. Um, and it's, it's just horror films, basically. But it, it, the, the pull, I've done a, a few, about three or four of these signing things, and the queue for Doctor Who was amazing. You know, we had the English football team once to help with them. They were all queuing up for Doctor Who. And it's incredible. Does it surprise you? I mean, the fans are still here getting water. Exactly. And some of them are dressed like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. We've got tailcoats on and stuff, you know. I think we've been a surprised by a few young kids that have been around. Yeah. Yeah. But it's one of those things you have to stay in. We're doing it now, which is refreshing. We're watching a thing called The Killing, which is on television, and it's on tonight. And we made sure the hotel's got the thing uh, to receive it, So because it's gripping. It really is fantastic. And it's just a bit of really good um, you know, television uh, production. It's, it's, it's got time. It's time to spend on people's faces and stuff. And it's, it's nice to find that television is coming back, so people like us... We've got to see it, we've got to watch it. Yeah, you know, we've got to, it's got to be there. And it's like people watching Doctor Who. They have to they know where they're going to be when it's transmitted and they're going to watch it. Yeah. And the new Doctor, is, it's, it's a talking point. Yeah, yeah, you know, when he's, when he's yeah. created and when he's whatever, he's onto a fortune as soon as he does it. You know. <laughs> and it's, 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 it's the simplicity of the police box is amazing. And it's lasted so long, hasn't it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> it really is, it's really good, you know. 
Yeah. There's a place in Earl's Court where there is still a police box. Yeah, yeah. 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 And every time I come out of Earl's Court station, I just feel it's a bit disconcerting for a moment. Yeah. Was it? Was there any highlights that you can recall from recording Warriors Gate? Any highlights from recording Warriors? Meeting Clippers on for me. And I was just second in command, and I had to do what he told me. You know. We can quickly tell you. Highlight for me. Yeah. Highlight for me. Yeah. 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 No, no, no. I don't mind us doing it. I want to get you on the panel. I think have oh, 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 God, okay. And I think the ambience did actually look rather good. It was quite a highlight. He's a good lad. He's very nice. I hadn't met him before. He's bloody good. I challenged the day that he was so kind and pleasant with me. David and Martin. Um, no, it's just quite interesting, actually, because I one of the podcasts I'm doing, we're watching Doctor Who quite from the very beginning, and we're just coming up to the arc. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any memories of working with William? What he was like with William Hartman? Uh, yes, I was almost used to him because, as I said in, in the talk in there, I'd, I'd gone to the cinema from a very early age and seeing him in those British black and white, you know, um, cops and robbers stuff. Uh, and I'd actually got his photograph. I'm, um, I was, a friend and I at school were great rivals collecting film stars' photographs. And he was an only child and he had much more money. And so he got many more photographs than me. But I remember getting William Hartnell's, um, and so I still have it. And apparently it might be quite valuable, I guess. You didn't ask him for an autograph. Uh, well, he's, it's signed, but I think it's stamped. You know, they used to have a stamp in those days. And it would go through. It looks okay, but it's not, I don't think it's personally signed. So, no, he was a very, very busy man, very precise, very in, much in control of what he was doing. Mm. And so we didn't have much uh, in, interaction, you know. Um, as, as I said in there, he, was, um, he interacted much more with a huge number of little boys who came to, to crowd round the entrance to the uh, rehearsal room. And when we came out at half past five or four o'clock or something like that, they would all surge forward to, to uh, have, a, have a word with the doctor, you know. And, and he took it all in a good part and, and, and joked with them and told them this and that. And he said, right, boys. And once he'd, he'd finished, they were quite happy to go, you know. But they wanted to react with him because and, and, they'd seen him on the screen and all that sort of thing. So. But a very, very hard worker, a very dedicated man. Did you, I mean, was it, did you consider serious TV at the time? Or? No, no, I think one was just glad to get the job. <laughs> uh, you know, I had no idea that it was going to sort of mushroom into what it has become, you know. Um, it was just very nice television to do, and, and you, you met a lot of people that you still know, and that sort of thing, like you do in the acting business, you know. Um, sort of fond memories, I guess, you know. So, Roy, does the reaction to Doctor Who still surprise you from the fans? Yes, that, um, I was thinking about this the other day, you know, thinking, well, if I have to do a talk, what do I talk about? And um, it's one of the things that's really amazing, that it's become a cult. I mean, you talk to actors and they say, oh, the other month I was in New York at a, at a, New, at a Doctor Who convention. You think, well, you know. When, when you got the job, it just seemed... It was another job, and it was nice to put on your CV, and the fact that I was in six episodes of The Furious from the Deep uh, was a, you know, a sort of thing. Um, 
um, what do you call it, a, a fillip, if you like, yeah. So um, today's reactions to it just amaze me. It's just, it's like Elvis Presley or something, isn't it, or the Beatles, you know. It's a, a great um, transcender. It brings a lot of people and, into one particular group and, and, and they transcend themselves into, into adherents or fans or something like that. Are you surprised that after all this time people still want your autograph? Is that surprising? <laughs> well, that is amazing, isn't it? Because, I mean, you lot, when I did my first one, probably weren't even born. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. So it is, but it, it's... I don't know. It's, I think it's just a, a great compliment to the original writers and the original set designers and, and the, the man who did the music. Because the music originally was just plucking a, a, a string or something, wasn't it? Yeah. To make the Doctor Who theme. Um, so iconic. Yeah, yeah so, so it's... Um, it shows how, you know, something that's, no matter how small it is, if it's truly felt and, and the people behind it believe in it, it can grow and it just has grown. It's just amazing. As I say, I mean, it, there's no real answer to, to what are your reactions because one still goes on being amazed at people's reactions. And in terms of, um, I mean, because you've done some Shakespeare, you know, and I'm an actor, and I found myself somehow doing a lot of Shakespeare. Um, I don't know how, but somehow I have. Um, is there a huge difference in the way you would approach doing something like Doctor Who or doing something like Shakespeare? Um, well, then, it, um, when actors left drama school, in, in the 50s and 60s they had a voice you know that the thing was to train for theatre and you've got to hit the back wall of the theatre with, with good voice good diction and everything uh, and so when we came to the arc where everybody never stopped talking um, it just stood one in good stead and you didn't have to worry you could bring it down a bit I mean there's no you know emoting no need for projection no, no. Um, so um, I don't an actor naturally adjusts I think if he's a good actor you go into a, a, a new theatre that you've not played in before and you think oh I have to, show you. I have to raise a bit raise the voice a bit to get to the big wall or something you know there's a ch- a brief time in a, in a long career but um, is there anything that stands out from the arc or Fury of the Deep that kind of sticks with you well I think um, watching the professionalism of people like William Hartnell and uh, the second man I worked with um, Troughton David mm. Troughton Patrick Troughton yes David is his son isn't he? and in, uh, in Patrick particularly the, the finesse the the um, control he had and it showed you just how little you need to do sometimes, particularly for film and television, you know, watching watching famous actors was always a good way of you know, adding to your own stock of technique yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you know that yourself yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, very, I mean, I'm just so sad that so little Patrick Troughton's run Doctor Who actually exists yeah, yeah. Flame the BBC, they decided to clear out their cupboards, didn't they? And, uh, that's the reason. Yeah. Yeah. Just finally, would any advice you would give to young actors starting out? Well, yes, they've got to decide whether they're going to be theatre actors or television actors. And I, I would advise them to, first of all, be theatre actors because that is the once you've got that, once you've got a decent voice and your diction's good, and you know how to breathe. Lots of actors nowadays don't bother because you know you've got a mic here, haven't you, or in your hair or under your chin or something. Um, if they 
can do that, then they will put a really solid basis for a career. But if they think, oh, I want to be in a, a soap after I leave drama school, yes. it's, it's the wrong avenue. <laughs> That's my opinion, anyway. Anyway, thank you. Thank you so much. And we're here with Sophie Aldred, who's just done the most entertaining panel and raffle draw. I've never seen anyone draw raffles quite so amusingly. <laughs> Oh, that's nice. I didn't realise. I didn't even know. <laughs> I um, I just took, I had a picture with you and I put it on Twitter on a straight away and I had three um, comments back saying this was the first woman I ever fancied. <gasps> no. How does it? Did you know that in taking on the role you would be the sexual awakening for teenage boys all over the country? I had absolutely no idea, and if I'd thought about it, I might have been very, very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> but now, in retrospect, at the age of forty-eight, it's rather flattering. <laughs> <laughs> And um, so, what, is there a highlight of your time on Doctor Who? Oh gosh, meeting Sylvester McCoy, that was it, and, and him still being one of my best friends now. You know, that that for me was, mm. you know, it was a it's a lifelong friendship, and um, and a, a huge learning ground for me because it was my first ever TV role. Mm. So he taught me everything I know. Really, it's wonderful. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Sylvester was my first Doctor. So, uh, you're my first companion, so it's, it's an honour to meet you today. Oh, thank you. That's great. What was the worst thing about being on Doctor Who? Let's think. Um, I can't really think of any, any negatives. I mean, um, I suppose the time element, interestingly enough, for a time lord, mm. the fact that we never, ever seem to have enough time to, A, to film everything... And B, that um, once we'd filmed, then quite a lot of it used to get dropped or cut on the editing, uh, in the editing process because there wasn't enough time to squeeze it into those episodes. Um, that, was, that was frustrating, you know, because some of the stories I felt could have really benefited with an extra episode. Some of them, you know, like Ghostlight, for example, which is a very oh, tricky plot and very, very dense ideas, um, so yeah, I, I think I think that was probably the trickiest thing. I, I, I remember watching Ghostlight and thinking, yeah, the, the glory days are back again, and then and it was gone. And I was yeah. Like, yeah. What, what were your feelings yeah. when you know it was announced? That I mean, how did you find yeah. out? Well, I didn't find out until Sylvester told me. Basically, I was rehearsing for Corners, which was the TV program that I, the children's program that I was presenting at the time, mm. and it was in a break, in a lunch break, and he rang the studio because, of course, we didn't have mobiles yeah. then. Um, and said, you know, are you sitting down? Uh, I've just heard that we're not doing Doctor Who again. And it was, it was shocking, but I was so lucky because I had other work. Um, and you know what it's like as an actor where you, you just accept, well, okay, you know. Mm. But I did for the next few years when March, April came around, which was the beginning of our filming season, I, I did miss it. It was a big hole, you know, not mm. to be doing it. But then, I mean, it's so fantastic that Doctor Who lives on with Big Finish and with the conventions. When, they, when you first got, you know, Big Finish asked you to do something, what was your first thought? Well, to be fair, um, a guy called Bill Baggs, who I'd known through the fan circuit, had already done the, um, quite a few of these sort of ideas, with CDs with original material. In fact, um, the first one I'd done was written by Mark Gatiss. Um, it was based on The Tempest and was called um, Prospero's Isle, I think it's called. Um, 
So he'd pioneered the idea of having... I mean, it wasn't the doctor because he hadn't got the licence from the BBC. It was the professor and Ace. <laughs> and he'd, he'd done quite a lot of that sort of thing. He'd also done videos, things like More Than a Messiah, that I did with Colin Baker. And he'd used the idea of the continuing story of Doctor mm. Who. Sadly, he didn't get the permission from the BBC, and so um, they kind of cut that off. But mm. by that time, Big Finish, you know, had had the idea and thought, hang on a minute, let's see if we can get the licence. So off they went, and the BBC did give them the licence, which was great. Um, so it was something that had already started, but they kind of put the icing on the cake, if you like. Mm. The audio is so much fun. It's so yeah, yeah, well done. Oh, audio is a wonderful yeah. medium to work in, isn't it? I love it. I love it. Is the acting process different? Yeah, it is because obviously it's more internal at times. Sorry, an ice warrior's just hand got just hit fell off. by an ice warrior's <laughs> <Just> arm. <laughs> um, it's a much more sort of internal, focused um, way of working. But um, I don't know. I, I do enjoy it, and you also have to block out the fact that you're in a funny little booth, and you know. Um, but um, no, I, I don't find it that different. I have to say. Well, I always thought... I mean, I I really loved what Sylvester was... I got to the point where I was a bit disappointed with Doctor Who. And Sylvester came along, and I began to find that I was really enjoying what he, he and you were bringing to the roles. But I think some of the early stories... I think there's the, year, the second season... Half of the second season and the third season... Brilliant, I thought. The first season, I was like, some of these stories are, I found really silly. Did you ever read a script and go... I know I've got to make the best of this, but this is a bit ridiculous. Mm, I think I was very lucky because I came in sort of towards the end of that. I mean, Dragonfire, for me, I was so new anyway, and mm. TV was new for me. Um, you know, the whole Doctor Who experience was just brand new. So I didn't really notice what was going on. And then, of course, immediately my next story was Remembrance of the Daleks, which was a much darker story. Yeah. And, and that's where, that it, for good, me, that's good timing, it really it? kind of kicked <laughs> off. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I was lucky. And, and I think by that time, obviously, by the time we'd done Dragonfire, Sylvester had realised that, actually, hang on a minute, he wanted to bring this sort of mystery and... Uh, suspense to um, and something more, and also Andrew Cartmel, I think it was had, the script editor mm. had really found yeah. his feet, and he was bringing a lot more to uh, to John Nathan Turner. My tax is here. Oh, my tax is here. Okay. <laughs> Maybe one more question. Um, yeah, it's gone out my head. <laughs> um, um, Would you ever go back? Oh yes. <laughs> okay. Um, the TARDIS really turns up in real life. You get one trip. Where do you go? Oh, my goodness. I would like to go somewhere in space. What an opportunity to not have to wear a spacesuit in space. Yeah. Um, I've always been fascinated by the stars mm. and by space and by what's out there. I'd just, I'd just love to have that opportunity. to, And also to look back at Earth from space and to realise the beauty of our planet and to sort of, you know, mm -hmm. I, I think... Also, I mean, from what I've um, learnt about um, space travel and stuff is that all the astronauts found it completely life-changing to go up there and, uh, and I'd love to have that experience. Excellent. Thank Excellent. you, Thank awesome. you, Thank you very much. Thank you very Cheers, much. thanks. And here we are at the end of the day with Dexter O'Neill, one of the organisers of Valiant. How are you doing? 
I'm, I'm knackered now. <laughs> uh, yeah, obviously there's a lot of planning that, that goes into these things. Um, evolved over weeks of phoning, discussing things with agents, calling, emailing people, organising writing programmes and stuff like that in the past few days, obviously gearing up towards the convention, driving down to Sheffield, um, and then it all goes within a day. Yeah. Did you get to enjoy much of the day, or were you too busy? It's quite interesting, really, because I obviously see a different side of the convention mm. than what everyone else does. Um, so I don't have the pleasure of listening to stories and you know all these sort of anecdotes that you get on panels. However, I am usually party to some gossip in the green room. Um, so it's the trade-off, really. Yeah, <laughs> whether yeah, whether you the want the, the behind-the-scenes <laughs> gossip um, or the uh, the anecdotes, which are which are always yeah. good to listen to. Would you have called the day a success? I think so. I think so. Um, it's always these things that you never quite know until you go home and you read the forums. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I'd say um, so, from my point of view, it's a complete success. I think everyone has walked away with a smile on their face. They've got what they wanted out of the day. Um, I mean, they've met ten celebrities, um, including Sophie and... Uh, Katie and stuff like that. So the, I don't think it can go wrong if you've got Katie, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, with Katie, obviously, because um, for the format of this convention, we have um, half our guest list arrive in the morning and half the, the afternoon. Um, but with Katie, I think you just need to book her for the whole day because it's <laughs> she's that busy yakking to everyone. That, um, Did she get on the right train? Huh? <laughs> yeah, in the end, she got on the right train, but that was thanks to uh, two other people escorting her. <laughs> <laughs> would you, I mean, uh, it may be a bit early, but um, would you say you have any learning points for Valiant 3? Learning points? Crikey. Well, I mean, this must be my something ridiculous like 20th convention. Because mm. um, obviously we do them regularly in London. We do six a year at uh, the George the Fourth pub in Chiswick. Um, and then we do uh, one in Sheffield, obviously this one, Valiant. We've got one in Oxford called Utopia. Um, and uh, another one starting in Birmingham. So it's, each one has a slightly different format to it. And obviously every format gets tweaked until, until you, know, you know what's best and how to run it. So yes, there is always learning curves. What those are, I'm yet to, <laughs> yet to find out. I mean, this is a great venue for a convention. How did you stumble across this? Uh, it was actually Andy from Galaxy 4 that suggested it to me. Um, I had been looking uh, for venues in Sheffield and in Leeds and this kind of area. Um, but when I s- stumbled across this one, it seemed, um, it seemed just about right because it's in the centre of Sheffield. So if you're walking from the train station or what have you, it's easy enough and you've, you know, there's parking nearby. So all the important things are kind of covered. Um, why do you do this? Because I'm mad. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I get a, a, a quite a big satisfaction because obviously I'm a fan of the show mm. um, and there was a lot of people for a long time getting a bit disheartened with conventions um, because they were getting very expensive or they felt that they weren't getting the right experience and at the time uh, I was just starting the business Phantom Films and we were promoting audiobooks and books at signings um, and it just seemed a natural progression that I could do that but on a bigger scale and host conventions I mean, today you've only got 100 tickets. Now, is that to do with the limitations of size or is it to do with the kind of experience you wanted to create? Nine times out of ten, 
um, the attendees are limited to 60 tickets. Right. And it is, it is a mixture of uh, wanting to give a more intimate experience and also the limitations of actually fitting everything mm. into the day. Um, I mean, it would be possible to hold bigger events, but I actually kind of like what we do um, and it gives a good experience because you feel as though you're getting more one-on-one time with the, the celebrity. Well, exactly. That's, that's how I felt today. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It worked really well. Thanks. I'm, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. Dexter, thanks Thank for you, your Dexter. time. Thank you. Great day. Thank you for a great day.